You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist series. Welcome back to the Thinking Talmudist series. We are continuing the Talmud in Sanhedrin, uh, page 98b. B as in bravo. All right, so till now we talked about Mashiach, signs of the coming of Mashiach, what's going to be, uh, you know, we, we, we did many of these, uh, you know, stories and opinions in the Talmud of what's going to happen in the time of Messiah and how it's going to be revealed to the world. Now we're going to talk about Hevli Mashiach, and that is the travails of the Messiah. What is the challenge that's going to befall the Jewish people? It's very interesting that we're talking about this today because literally last night I was I walked into synagogue and I meet a friend of mine. I said he says, "No, what's going on? What do you what do you think since October seventh? You know, this has been a a huge event for the Jewish people. You know, people are shook up. And what are your thoughts?" I said, "Look, there's no questions. We're in the times of Messiah." He says, "No, no, no. We're not in the times of Messiah." I said, "Well." We're definitely in Hevle Mashiach, which is the travails of the Messiah. And today we open up the Talmud and boom, that's what we're talking about. So um, it, it's very important for us to know what really is going to happen. And I think we are in the travails of, of Messiah because it's like just like childbirth. Just like childbirth, uh, hopefully a healthy child comes to the world, but it comes with some pain. It comes with some challenge. It doesn't, it's not, pregnancy is not always easy. Labor is not always easy. And, uh, you know, but, but there's a great child that comes after it, hopefully. Same thing is with the coming of Mashiach. Mashiach will be a great thing for the world because there will be world peace. There will be clarity in the world. The world will know, everybody will know their priorities. Everybody know, will know, Kishem Hashem Nikra Alecha. They will know, that uh, they'll know the, the power of the Jewish people being the chosen nation. They will know who Hashem is. They won't be confused with idolatry and other nonsense. But the process with in which Mashiach will be revealed to the world is not going to be a pleasant process. Not going to be a pleasant process, and we'll talk about that now in the Talmud here in 98b in Tractate Sanhedrin. The Gemara discusses the period of Hevli Mashiach, the travails of the Messiah. Amar Rav, Rav said, Ein ben David The son of David will not come, it's referring to Messiah, until the kingdom has extended its dominion over Israel for nine months. Who's the kingdom? Right, so that's talking about the Roman Empire representing Edom, the power of evil in the world. Shenemar lechein yitneim ad eis yoledes, yoleda yolada, v'yeser echav yeshuvun al beis Yisrael. Therefore, he will surrender them until the time that one who gives birth has given birth. How long is gestation? Gestation typically is nine months. Then the rest of his brothers will return with the children of Israel. The Gemara quotes 
statements made by Amaraim regarding the travails of Messiah. So there are many different Amaraim, all had different traditions, all different teachings of what was going to happen pre the coming of Messiah. Amar Ula, Ula said, May he, the Messiah, come, but may I not see him. Why not? Why didn't you want to see him? Although Ula prays for the Messiah's arrival regularly, he would rather not witness this event than endure the suffering that will accompany it. Because there's going to be so much suffering, and as we see, we're in a time of great pain, uh, where people are not just uh, victims of these terrible atrocities, their families being in pain, their families suffering, losing family members, family members being abducted and kidnapped. And, well, the Talmud says that it's going to be terrible, terrible things happen. No, it doesn't say it doesn't say it here, but I mean but it, it it's saying that there's gonna be very challenging events occurring. And so Ula says, I don't I don't want to be in that generation. Why is that? Why is that? Why would Ula not want to be here? To see the Messiah? Who doesn't want to see the Messiah? Why would you say I prefer not being here so I not experience the pain? So we have to understand that the way our sages see things is not the same way we do. See, you know, you know what Ula was thinking? Ula was thinking, how much pain is it going to be to feel the pain of others? As a leader, you have to feel the pain of your people. And he, he's like, the amount of pain that I'd have to feel for others would be so immense that I, I don't want to be around during that time. V'chein Amarabah. And so said Rabbi, May he come, but may I not see him. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Yesi, may he come, Ve'ezke le'esiv bitula bechufita dechamre. May I merit to sit in the shadow of his donkey's dong. Rabbi Yosef was prepared to suffer the worst degradation in order to present the advent to be sorry in order to be present to at the advent of the messianic era he's like i'll take anything i don't care being in the lowest place on earth in the the most degrading fashion to be at such a great event abaye challenged rabba abaye says to rabba my time why do you not want to be around when mashiach comes why don't you want to see messiah if it's because you fear of the travails of Messiah, it says in the Brisa, Rebeliezer asked his students, he was asked by his students, what can a person do to be speared of the travails of the Messiah? What did he answer? He should be occupied and immersed in Torah study and acts of kindness. And our master that we, we asked this question of, Rabbah, 
he is a master of Torah and he's a master of acts of loving kindness. So Rabbi now replies, so therefore you'll be protected from all of the pain of the pangs of the coming of Messiah. Why would you not want to be there? You're protected. You shouldn't have any worry. You're fine. See, he says, Amar he answered him, Shem Yigrom Hachet, I am afraid lest a sin cause me to lose whatever protection I have earned. So he was so afraid that perhaps he might sin. And if he sins, he's going to lose his merit. And if he loses his merit, he's not going to have that protection. And that's what he was concerned about. He was concerned that he was going to be, he was going to be with sin. Any sin, any level of sin makes us lose that protection. And therefore, he wanted to avoid being in the, in the era of Messiah because he didn't know that he had the, he'd have the merits. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, who we're talking about? We're talking about some Joe Schmo? No, we're talking about, we're talking about Rabbah. We're talking about one of the holiest sages. And what is he worried about? Not to sin. He's worried about, if I'm going to sin, I'm not going to have any protection. You think he doesn't have other merits to protect him. But that is the virtue and the quality of someone who's righteous. They feel that they have not done anything. They feel that they haven't accomplished anything. Why? Let's say you're given a gift, David, of being an unbelievable songwriter. And you write a beautiful song. But instead of writing a thousand beautiful songs, you only write one. Because you say, look, most people just compose one song. So I composed one song. Yeah, but you weren't given the same talents as everybody else. You're going to be held accountable for why didn't you produce more based on the talents you were gifted with. So what the sages, they weren't with a low self-esteem. That wasn't their issue. Their issue was... If we were given more talent, we have to produce more. And perhaps we didn't produce what we were expected to produce. And therefore, that would take away our merits. But there's another thing here. I remember many times my grandfather, you know, if we walked over to him before Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur and you invited him, I remember many times people would come, you know, Making a bar mitzvah for my son right after the holiday of Sukkot. So you have, you know, you have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. He would say, please invite me after Yom Kippur. I don't know if God's going to give me the merit of life on Yom Kippur. He, he, he wasn't saying it as a joke. He really didn't know that he would be meritorious enough to merit to live through Yom Kippur. What are you talking about? You're a great man. You have thousands of disciples, of students, people who write your Torah, people who speak your Torah, people who listen and read your Torah. What are you talking about? That's not the way the righteous feel. The righteous feel like they are inadequate. They feel like they're inadequate because perhaps I was given so much more potential and I'm just average. If you're given above average potential, you can't produce average. You need to produce above average, you know, results. So that was Rabba's 
concern. Having mentioned that sin could cause a person to lose earned reward, the Gemara cites two sources to this concept. Now we have to remember this is a, it's so beautiful because when we learn the Talmud, one of the most important parts of studying Talmud, which is why we started this class in honor of David and Susan Marbin years ago, we started this class because, you remember that, you were in that classroom, right? The reason we started doing this class was because we wanted to know that every word that's written in the Torah is sourced, in, in, in the Talmud is sourced. Everything that we, you hear, you hear about a custom, you hear about a teaching, you hear about something, you need to know that every single thing is sourced. Everything is sourced. There's no such thing that the Talmud will just say something that's not going to be, oh, it's just a, a thought. Rabbi had a thought that, you know, sin is going to take away. No, 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 no. What's your source? Prove it. Now the Talmud says, that's my responsibility. My responsibility as the Talmud is to source this. So he's going to bring now two sources that sin removes one's reward and can perhaps take away their protection. This accords with the teachings of Rav Yaakov Ar-Idi. Rav Yaakov Ar-Idi Rami, Rav Yaakov Ar-Idi pointed out at a contradiction. On the one hand, it is written that God promised Jacob. Behold, I am with you, and I will guard you wherever you go. And it's written later, Vayira Yaakov Ma'od Vayitzerlo. And Jacob became frightened, and it distressed him. Jacob was frightened despite God's promise to protect him. Why was he afraid? What was he afraid of? Because he was afraid lest the sin cause him to lose his protection. So we see in the Torah a source for this, that if someone sins, it could take away their divine protection. Why would it take away the divine protection? Hello, right? When someone sins, what are you doing? You're creating barriers between you and the, and the Almighty. When someone does a mitzvah, what are they doing? They're removing those barriers and bringing you closer. Every mitzvah a person does on any level should never, ever, ever be discounted. It is such an incredible thing because that creates a bond between us and the Almighty and that gives us protection. God says, this is my boy. You're not gonna, you're, no, you're not going to mess with my, I'm going to protect him. I'm going to protect him. This is the, the, um, the way we live our lives. The second source for this concept is based on the verse, until your people, pa- uh, your people passes, Hashem, until this people you have acquired passes. The following Brysa interprets this double expression, the people that you acquired. What's this people that you acquired? Kedetanya, as it is written in a Brysa. Ad yavor amcha Hashem, until your people passes, O Hashem. Zubia Rishona, this is reference to the first entering of the Jewish people into the land of Israel. Ad Yavor Amzu Konisa, until this people 
you have acquired passes, Zubioshnia, this is the second entering into the land of Israel, and Mormeata say then that since both enterings are alluded to in the same verse, they share the following characteristic. The Jewish people deserved that a miracle be performed for them in the second entering to the land of Israel. Just as they merited for the first time. But what happened? They sinned. So they sinned. So now merit was taken away from them. Now they needed a miracle. It's an amazing thing. We actually, I noticed yesterday in our prayers, we pray, which is odd. I have to look into this. By the time we get to it in our Parsha and prayer that we started starting to do on Tuesday mornings, by the time we get to this prayer, hopefully I'll have an answer. But we actually ask for, for miracles. We say, And create a miracle to bring us all together united back in our homeland. It's what we pray for, but it's a miracle. We're asking for a miracle, which is a, an odd thing because typically it's not something you pray for. You don't pray for a miracle. That's not the you know the halachas. The Talmud says that we don't we don't pray for miracles. Okay, so now the Gemara resumes its previous discussion of the different uh, travails and opinions that people had about the time of tra- the, the travails of Messiah. And so said Rabbi Yochanan, May the Messiah come and may I not see him. Now Rishlakish and Yochanan were, were, uh, were, they were friends, they were family, they were always arguing in the Talmud. You'll always see that when you see Rishlakish, you see Rabbi Yochanan. They're always together uh, arguing, two different camps of thought. My Taima, we asked Rabbi Yochanan, he says, what's the reason that you don't want to be there when, in the coming of Messiah? If, because it says in the verse, Kasha Yanus Ish Ari, Ufagu Hadov, Ufag O Hadov, Uva Baiz Visamach Yado Alakir, when a man flees from a lion and a beer meets him and entering his house, he leans his hand on the wall and a snake bites him. So you ran away from the lion. You ran into the arms of the beer. You ran away from the beer into your house. You put your hand on the wall and snake bit you. It's a verse in Amos. That is to say, a person will escape from one trouble only to encounter another trouble. So is that why you don't want to be present when the coming of Messiah? He says, Bo dugmaso He says, Come and I will show you the example in this world. When a man goes out to the field, Ufagabo Santer, and a Santer, which is a so that's the, the little peg that you put into the ground to determine the property marker. You know, they put this, so we put these like metal rods. They put these metal rods so they can later track it and find it, hopefully, so they, they know. So you go, you you bump into this metal rod. Dome kimi shepagaboari. 
it is as though he has been approached by a lion. Nichnas when he enters the city, Pagabogabai. What happens when you go into the city? The tax collector approaches you. Dome Kimisha Pagodov. It is as though he's been approached by a beer. Nichnas Labesi comes into a house, and he finds in his house, he finds his sons and daughters lying in hunger. Dome it is as though he has been bitten by a snake. So you see, uh, he's out in the field, right? He, he bumps his leg into the thing. He gets into the, into the city, tax collector. They want everything is another bill, another bill, another bill, right? He walks into his house. His kids are starving, right? So he's being bit from every, where, wherever you are. And so people always think this is an amazing, an amazing, uh, something to pay attention to. Everybody thinks that the other guy has got it easy. It's all worked out for him. Everybody. Oh, he, he, oh, he struck this great business deal. He made a fortune, made a more fortune, right? And everyone's like, wow, I wish that happened to me because that's the only link that it's missing in my life. If I'm able to pay my bills properly, that would be perfect. Do you know what's going on with his wife and his children? Do you know what's going on in his own personal hell? Yeah, people don't know. But there's like a whole other story that we don't know. All we see is the thing that is greener for us. And we like, we think that that's, that really should be for me. It's, it's a very interesting thing how we always look at, if you look at other people, we shouldn't look at other people. But if you look at other people, you wonder, oh, if that only happened to me, that would be, I can handle that problem. I can handle that issue. I could win that lottery ticket. Oh, let, just try me. Try me. You'll see that I'm not going to lose the money like everybody else who does win the lottery, right? Everybody thinks that it's not, you know, I can handle that. But everybody's got the lion that attacks and everybody's got, you know, it's like you're running a multi-million dollar business. What's the big deal, right? They have multi-million dollar problems. The bigger the, the, but people take that out of consideration. They're like, oh, he should be happy. What, what do you mean? He's, oh, he has a problem with his private jet. That's his problem, right? We should all have such problems, right? No, you don't understand, right? For them, that's as critical as someone having, uh, you know, an illness. It's like their, their whole world is exploding now. The whole, so we don't understand that it seems to us like it's, it's not relevant. It's not big enough, but it's massive to each individual. The issues that you have, you know, they say that there were a bunch of, a group of old Jerusalemite Jews complaining about their problems. So they all put their problems into a basket in the center of the room and everyone looked at everybody else's problems and they picked their own and sat back down. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is because at the end of the day, your own problems are tailor-made for you. Someone else's problems, you don't want to deal with their children, you don't want to deal with their wife, you don't want to deal with their family, you don't want to deal with their issues that they have Everyone's got their bundle of issues. Yes. So why do people who win the lottery typically lose it? So you have to understand like this. When someone doesn't... I'll give you, I'll give you a better example. What would happen if you brought home three horses tonight? 
you were driving by and you saw three loose horses, you put them on the back of your pickup truck, you bring them to your house, and and you bring them home. You say, hey, guess what I brought for Shabbos? I brought three horses. What's going to happen by the time Sunday night, sun, sunset, what's going to happen? You're going to go crazy because they need to eat, they need a drink, they need a graze, they need a this, they need a that. Are you set up for that? No. Someone who has money has to have everything set up for it. The problem is they have nothing set up for it. Someone who falls into suddenly an enormous amount, $850 million in the, in, in the lottery, in the Texas lotto, right? Someone won it this week. You think they have the infrastructure to deal with that? Most don't. So they, they become crazy. So, oh, you, you want to buy a car? No problem. Here's money for a car. These are this. Before they know it, it's all gone. And then it gets really sad because they feel like, one second, all my friends came to me. Suddenly, everyone wants to be my friend. Everybody wants something from me. Everybody loves me, quote unquote. And then they disappear when they, when it's all gone. Nobody's there to help me. And it's you need to have an infrastructure for that. Most people aren't born. I'm not going to say most people, but most people aren't born wealthy. They work hard. <laughs> They get their first job, they get their second job, they get a raise. Slowly, slowly, they learn to create an infrastructure that can handle that wealth. And if someone just wins it overnight, it becomes very a big problem. They, they don't know how to handle it. Now, there's many other reasons for it. I'm sure the doctor can shed, shed some light on this. But um, it, it's definitely not just because they become crazy. That's true. Well, most of them have, if they have, they usually have some nice Jewish guy who's their business advisor. Right, but even the skill, the skill is very limited of, of an athlete because an athlete is, is valuable till 30, 35 years old. After that, his, he, can't, he can't move his body like, not everyone's a Tom Brady, you know. So the Talmud now continues. Having rejected the preceding reason for Rabbi Yochanan's unwillingness to witness the, the Messiah's arrival, the Gemara suggests a different reason. Rather, he was afraid because of that which is written, and now, ask now and see whether a man gives birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces have turned pale? This is from Jeremiah. We know that men do not give birth. Right, doctor? So far, yeah. yeah. Men do not give birth. Uh. Why then is every man... Men do not give birth. Why then is every man in agony as though he were in the travail of childbirth? He's standing next to his wife there and he's like as if he's in pain with her. The Gemara interprets this verse and says, My Raisi Kol Gever, what is the meaning? I see every man Kal Gever. Omar Rava Bar Yitzchak Omar Rav Rava Bar Rav Yitzchak. Rava, the son of, of, 
of Yitzchak, said in the name of Rav, Misha Kol Gvura Shalo. This refers to the one who all power, Kol Gvura, belongs to. And what is the meaning of all the faces have turned pale? This means that the faces of the hosts of the angels of the heavenly realms and the hosts of the Jewish people in the lower realms all turn pale from fright. At the moment that the Almighty says, these are my handiwork, and these are my handiwork. How can I destroy these for the sake of these? And this is referring to all human beings are God's creatures. Therefore, it is difficult for God to overthrow the pagan nations to make way for the rise of the messianic kingdom. Because it is difficult, because of this difficulty, it might appear that at some point as though God has let the pagan nations hold sway. It was this moment, the darkest and most terrifying of all, that Rabbi Yochanan sought to avoid. Meaning, the Almighty is going to be there and say, here, I'm trying to get my Jewish people to be where they're supposed to be with the coming of Messiah. But what do I need to do in order for that to happen? I need to move aside the nations of the world. I don't want the nations of the world to be in a state where they feel like, where they feel like they're pushed aside. They're also my creations. And therefore, this is what Rabbi Yochanan said, I don't want to be around when God is sort of dealing with this dilemma. Amar Papa, Rav Papa says, This is reflected in the adage that people say, Rohit v'nafil tura, an ox runs and falls, and its master goes and puts a horse at its trough. Ve'azil v'shadile susya be'urye. So what happens? So the ox falls. So what does he do? He brings the horse in to eat from the uh, from the trough. Now the ox is healed, comes back, and now he's in a dilemma. He's got the he's got the horse there, and he's got the ox. What is he going to do? He's going to tell the horse, go away. What's he going to do? He's in a dilemma. He says, this is what's going to happen in the time of of, uh, the coming of Messiah. The horse, the ox is the Jewish people. The horse are the nations of the world. Where Hashem allows the nations of the world to take reign of the world and control what goes on in the world. Because we saw the Talmud began. It says that for nine months, the world is going to be controlled by the evil empire. So now Hashem needs to move them aside and say, hey, 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 those, my ox got injured, but my ox is back. You're going to have to move aside now. It's not going to be a pleasant situation, right? And that's part of the travails of the coming of Messiah. The Gemara begins a discussion about the identity and character of the Messiah. Amar Rav Gidol, Amar Rav. Rav Gidol said in the name of Rav, Asidin Yisrael de Ochli Shnei Mashiach, the Jewish people, is destined to enjoy the years of the Messiah. The Gemara exclaims, Amar Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Pshita, that is obvious. Who will enjoy the years of the Messiah if not the Jews? He says, Chilak and Bilak will enjoy them as well. 
Will they? Oh no, sorry. It's a question. Will they enjoy it? The Gemara explains why Rav's teaching is necessary. This is coming to exclude the teaching of Rabbi Hillel. The Amar Ein Mashiach Yisrael, who says, "What does what does uh, Hillel say? That there will be no Messiah for the Jewish people." Because they already enjoyed the years of the Messiah in the days of Yechezkel. Yeah. So he says the, the, the years of the coming of Messiah will be years of great abundance for the Jewish people. And Chilak and Bilak were two fict- were fictitious names, figures of, of an undesirable nature. And obviously he's saying, what do you mean? It's like, uh, apparently they were also names of two judges in Sodom. And Gomorrah. Okay, so they, that's like used as like, like the, the worthless names. And Hill maintains that King Chizkiah was the Messiah, and all the prophecies about the Messiah were stated in reference to him. When Rav said that the Jewish people will enjoy the years of the Messiah, his intent was not to exclude other peoples. Rather, it was to stress that contrary to Hill's view, there will be a Messiah. Okay, so now let's let's just put this together here. When Mashiach comes, it's going to be a time of great challenge. It is going to be a time of birth pangs for the Jewish people to really be be uh, at a state. It means we're going to be squeezed to a point where we're going to, ha- you know, it's like. You're not going to be able to do anything otherwise because Hashem is going to push us in a certain direction. And it's already, it's already happening. If you look now, right now, what's going on, we spoke about this, which is why we started to learn all of these pieces of Talmud. If you look at the Jewish people, the Jewish people are waking up. The Jewish people are getting involved. The Jewish people are you know, really in a, in a very miraculous way saying, you know what, we need to embrace our Judaism. It's, it's an unbelievable thing. I, I mean, the Israeli army has been, for years and years and years, has been a very, very secular um, center of the Jewish people. Very secular. But with this war, a lot has changed. The majority of soldiers are wearing tzitzit. Not only that, is that you have groups when they get out of Gaza, they say say the blessings that you're supposed to say when you come out of war. It's unbelievable. And you see guys, you know, covering their heads when they're reciting that blessing. They understand reciting a blessing. They may not know their commander is the one who's reciting it out loud. There is they're following after him, word for word. But there's a change happening. Each one of us, learning here today, have been inspired in some way. Over October 7th, it's like something's got to change in my life. It's I, I got to be more Jewish. How many people have said over here around this table, I need, I need to do something more. I need to feel more Jewish pride. We talked about this in our Parsha class last week. To not hide our Jewish pride. Wear it as a badge of honor. Don't run away from it. Don't like, you know, nobody needs to know that I'm Jewish. No, no, no. We don't need to hide it. Be proud of it. It's 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 a very it's like like someone who becomes a doctor wants to write doctor on every single document they see, right? Because like people have to know I'm a doctor, right? MD. 
after my name. Yeah, anywhere is like, you know, should be clear. But we're going to hide it as Jews? Why are we going to hide it? In fact, what does the Torah tell us in Exodus? That the Jewish people were saved from Egypt because of three main reasons. Three main reasons. Three main merits. They didn't change their names. They stayed Yosef. They didn't become Joe. They didn't change their clothes. They looked like Jews. And they didn't change their language. They didn't change their language. They still read the Hebrew. They learned in Hebrew. They spoke in Hebrew, even though they also spoke the Egyptian language, whatever it was at the time. And that's our obligation. Our obligation to not veer away from those three principles. We don't change our names. Here you go. Your name is Duvid. There you go. Just like it was for King David. No, no difference. No difference. We keep our names. We're not going to hide it. We're not going to run away from it. We're not going to change the way we dress. We're going to have our tzitzis and we're going to have our side, our side locks, our payas, just like we always had, just like the Torah commands us. And we're not going to change our language. We're going to continue to maintain our Jewish identity through our words, through our, through our language. The Gemara cites a dispute that concerns the Messiah. Amarav. Lo ibore alma David. The world was created only for David. But Shmuel says, Shmuel Amar Nope, it was created only for Moses. Rabbi Yochanan, what does Yochanan say? Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, the world was only created for La Mashiach, for Mashiach. Mashmo, what is his name? Debei Rav Shila Amri. The school of Rav Shiloh says, Shiloh Shmo. His name was Shiloh, Shiloh. Shenemer ad she ad ki yavo Shiloh. Until Shiloh comes. So we see from here, according to uh, Rav Shiloh, that the name of Messiah is Shiloh. Debe Rabbi In the house of Rabbi Yana, what did they say? His name was Yinon. Yinon. Shenemar yihi shemola olam lifnei shemesh yinon shmo. May his name endure forever, for as long as the sun may his name continue as yinon. Debe Rabbi Chanino, Omar, in the school of Rabbi Chanino, what did they say? That his name is, the name of Messiah is going to be Chanino, you guessed it, right? Chanino shmo, Chanino is his name. Shenemar ashelo etein lochem Chanino. For I will not give you mercy. Mercy is the word Hanina. Yeshomim Menachem ben Chizkia Shemo. His name is going to be Menachem ben Chizkia. Why? Because it says, Ki Rochak Mimeni Menachem Eshiv Nafshi. Because a comforter, which is Menachem, to revive my spirit is far from me. Okay, but Rabbanon Amri, what did Rabbanon say? What did they, they say the name of Messiah is? Chivara Debei Rebbe Shemo. His name is Mitzora of the house of Rebbe is his name. Shenemar, why? Ochein Cholani Hu Nasa V'machovenu Sovolam V'anachnu Chashavnuhu Nagia Muka Elokim Umuna. Indeed, it is our diseases that he bore and our pains that he endures Whereas we consider him plagued, 
smitten by God and afflicted. So now Rab Nachman says, Amar Rab Nachman, I min chayahu, if the Messiah is among the living, kagon ana, then he's someone like us. He's, right? Says Rab Nachman, probably someone like me. Shenemar vehoya adiro mimenu umoshlo mikirbo yetze. As it is stated, and their prince, their and their princes shall be one of their own, and their ruler shall emerge from their midst. So here, Reb Nachman was a, a leader in his generation. So he says, probably someone like me. Now we have to just. Um, Okay, we'll continue and we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. Amar Rav, Rav said, If the Messiah is among the living, then he's like someone like Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Who's Rabbeinu HaKadosh? Rabbeinu HaKadosh is the author of the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. Rabbi Yehuda Anasi was also known as Rabbeinu HaKadosh. And he's the author of the Mishnah. Very, very, very pious, holy man. Imin Messiah, who if he was among the dead, Kigon Daniel Ishchamudos, and he was then if he's dead, Mashiach will probably be someone like Daniel, the greatly beloved. So, what is Mashiach going to look like? Who is he going to be like? So the Talmud here says, if he's alive, many opinions of what he's going to be represented like or by what he's going to be represented by. But there's something more important here. My grandfather would always say that indeed, Mashiach is alive. Mashiach is alive right now. Right now. At this very moment, Mashiach is around. I don't know who he is. If it's me, I haven't received that memo. Okay? But whoever it is knows who they are and is assigned by the Almighty. Talmud says that they're given that notification, that responsibility on Tisha B'Av, Tishabav is the day that it's assigned, and they know that they're on call. And as soon as the Almighty says, go, that's it. They reveal those powers to the world, and it'll be a day of unbelievable fear, trepidation, joy. It'll be an unbelievable day. Now, Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Rav. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, the Holy One, blessed is He, is destined to raise another David, another King David, for them, for the Jewish people. And they will serve Hashem their God, and David their King, whom I will raise up for them. What do you mean? What's Hakim? Hakim means... He raised them. But that's not what it says. It says, Ela Akim. I will, I will raise them in the future, which connotes that the rise of someone else other than King David, it's going to be a different King David. So the Gemara asks, My servant David will be a prince over them forever, which indicates that it is the original David who will reign over the Jewish people in the future. The Gemara answers, Kegon Kesar, Vipalge Kesar. The two Davids will be like an emperor 
and a half emperor. So you'll have, it is indeed two Davids, but of the same cloth. All right. Right. So the Gemara says that Mashiach is going to be born on Tisha B'Av. The, the Talmud says, but that's not fair because then everyone's going to know who it is because you just do a process of elimination. Who was born on Tisha B'Av, on the 9th of Av? It has to be them. You pick between those few. So now that you know who the Mashiach is, it's, it's, it makes, it makes life very complicated. Talmud says, no, you're not going to know because it's not really that they're born, physically born, like a baby being born, but rather their responsibilities are born on that day. All right. So my dear friends, it's already getting late. It's an early Shabbos. So I wish you a lovely Shabbos. Stay blessed. Stay safe. Hashem should protect us. And God willing, we should be merit. We should merit to the coming of Messiah speedily in our days. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby on a podcast produced by Torch, the Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. We need you. We need partners. Please help sponsor an episode so we can continue to produce more quality Jewish content for our listeners around the globe. Please visit torchweb.org to donate and partner with us on this incredible endeavor.